Uh, what's up everyone? Thanks for being here. Thank you for your patience. Um, we have overcome some major tech issues to get this recording going, uh, but we're happy to be here. Um, so yeah, what's up everybody? Welcome to another episode of Shut Up. Keep going. I'm Cindy Goodman. I'm Kate Franklin. And this is the podcast where we explore, we explore our, our internet, internet curiosities. curiosities. <laughs> We're uh, usually not that anybody really cares about the technical know-hows of this, but um, usually we use Discord and today we're using Google Meet. And it would appear that there is um, a little bit more latency between the two. So that's fun. Uh, but yeah, thanks everybody for being here. We are so excited. Well, I don't know. I think we're both like kind of defeated if I'm being honest. <laughs> um, a little bit. Kate had a meeting today. We I'll let her go into what she feels like she wants to share. And I got a new desk and with a new desk means a new cable management. And I have spent almost two full days trying to get it in a place. And I finally today just had to say, fuck it. I'm just going to plug the things in and we'll go back and fix it later. So that's where I'm at. Oh, because you're going to do like a whole system situation? Well, I was just trying to keep it organized because I'm not known for like my cable management and like the organization of it. But um, and I, I, I didn't prove, but I'm like looking at it right now. It looks pretty messy still. I have to, you know, keep it. I, I have these like little tubes to try and get the cables to be managed. But I also think I need to buy some longer cables. Mm. but anyways well yeah I mean I'm probably not gonna get too much into mine because I'm not sure if I'm allowed to share but <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm producing a commercial and let's just say the talent whose talent is keeping calm is not so calm <laughs> so that's been really interesting to navigate <laughs> Yeah, production. I feel like productions in general, I don't know about you, but I feel like I've had to really, since getting into this line of work, I've really had to like stay on myself because <laughs> I think yeah. that there's just so many moving pieces and like productions are just like everyone's stressed. And so people just like are not, this isn't my own experience. It feels like people just like aren't fully communicating or whatever it is that's missing. And you just are like, yeah. But happy to report that I've never told anybody off on set or anything like that. Oh, so that's good. I am an, a functioning adult. I haven't either, but I can't wait to someday. To yeah. The right per the spe that special someone. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they'll really have to earn it for me, you know? Yeah. But it is what yeah. it is. Hopefully, I hope I never tell somebody off or explode. I'd be really sad. Um, yeah. Have you ever done that? Have you ever freaked out on someone? Oh, 100%. Oh, my gosh yeah like in a professional context um not in a profession i so I, I have to a certain extent but it definitely wasn't full force does that make sense okay. yeah like um but uh, there were have been a few times where it's like i'm so frustrated and it's actually interesting because both times that it's happened have been as a result of me being a woman in the workforce if that makes sense like mm -hmm. and i think in the field that I work in and just being like the only woman in the room and feeling like really silenced because or like my opinions weren't taken seriously because um like the blow up basically came as a result of frustration so like both times kind of centered with me being in the room for being like an expert whether it was because I 
we were talking about the show that I wrote, produced, and hosted, or because everybody, nobody else in the room worked in gaming and I was the only one there, and then people would like ask for my opinion, and I said it, and then nobody listened until a dude... <laughs> either said oh we should listen to sydney or they like gave this like floundering response and listened to him instead yeah in both cases i like stood up for myself and i think that i did it like i don't know that it came hopefully it didn't come off as like freaking out but i was so i was like shaking i was so frustrated and then i left and cried in the bathroom after it was done <laughs> so you know you know the usual yeah I've cried in so many bathrooms. <laughs> I feel like a bathroom's like main secondary purpose is for crying. Yeah. Oh yeah. More <laughs> tears than shits for sure. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, I don't know. It's just like not to get too far into that stuff, but I feel like, I don't know. Crying is just like a release and work is it's good to cry. I agree. I think it's great to cry. I think it's important. Um, do we want to get to your topic? Sure. Well, I think, is it on the thing? Well, it's not a surprise, but I'm doing the history of stand-up comedy. <laughs> um, which is ironic because I'm not feeling too funny today. I'm feeling very serious and dour, but maybe this will be the just the thing I need to pep, get a little pep in my step. Yeah, a little. Um, but I... Well, so how I came up with doing this, it's kind of, I'll say upfront, it's not a full history. It's like as much as I could process and do for this podcast, which we know is not necessarily an academic text. <laughs> um, so I just, you know, pulled interesting things. It's not a full history. It's not even a full history of comedy which i initially set out to do but that was a too high of a bar to put myself at um but i was mostly just curious that i didn't know when stand-up started i feel like it's one of those things where it's like oh yeah that's probably been around for a long time but then you think about it more and you're like i actually don't know i can't imagine someone in like the 1850s listening to a stand-up comic that seems like very weird mm -hmm. you know yeah i have a so guess then, i i'm curious um i don't want to say it but i'm just gonna earmark that i have a guess on like where the inception was Ooh, interesting i'm gonna write it on a post-it um and I watched this amazing movie that most people have probably seen. And if you haven't seen it, you absolutely should watch it called The King of Comedy. Have you seen that movie, Sydney? No, I remember when it came out, though. I think I wrote it on my um, like. No, watch you did it because you weren't alive. <laughs> oh, never mind. But I've, I've definitely heard of it then. It's from like the I think it's like 85. Um, it's with Robert De Niro. It's a Martin Scorsese movie. Okay, that's um, why I've heard of it then. And he plays a stand-up comic who takes a late-night host hostage in order to be on the show. Oh, and do you know why I've heard of it? It's a Joker thing. Yeah, I was just going to say is because I remember reading all of the stuff for the Joker was King of Comedy. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, this is why. Um, I hadn't seen it until like two days ago and I watched it and I was like, this is the best movie. You would really like it because it's like really, it has a very interesting 
take on the entertainment industry. <laughs> Ooh, I probably um, would like it. But that got me thinking. I was like, oh my God, when did stand-up comedy start? And so now we're going to find out. So what is comedy? That's a great question. Me. Um, <laughs> well, unsurprising, it's a form of drama uh, or other art which purpose is to amuse i'm mm-hmm. sure we all know that but um it's obviously different than what a tragedy is which is kind of if you know the little masks the comedy one is the one that's smiling and the tragedy one is the one that's frowning are you calling up the masks no i'm not calling them out they're doing their job perfectly no no, no. i said calling um, them up you sent me b-roll oh yeah you can pull them up um <laughs> Yes, I totally forgot about that. So this is uh, from ancient Greece. So that was their hot take on it, which they kind of started it. So, and I am going to say this is the history of Western stand-up comedy. I didn't. That's the only thing I got into. I just want to say that up front again. I know that there's a whole other legacy in other countries, and it's mostly America focused because we're Americans. Um, But the classical conception of comedy, which started in the 4th century in ancient Greece, 4th century BCE, so like long ass time ago, um, and it was concerned with humans as social beings rather than private persons, um, and its function was to be corrective, which I thought was really interesting, meaning that like the comic artist's purpose was to hold a mirror up to society to reflect its follies and vices in hope that they will be mended. So it was like a form of like public catharsis. Basically. That's interesting. It makes me think of I took this class in college about um, it was a media like critique class or whatever on um science fiction Mm -hmm. and i remember my professor said something about how like we as a society use science fiction as a way to examine our society as we move forward into the future and so it almost feels like the like mirror of comedy because comedy seems like it's looking at kind of our current and past actions and critiquing it yeah and i think it's a lot about like psychology like social psychology interesting um i think that's what to summarize anymore i think that's what it's specifically saying is like why do we act the way we do around other people i mean obviously comedy can happen in private but that was the first reason for it um and so this philosopher in the 20th century france henry bergson um that's such a normal name henry bergson i feel like sometimes like older you know like it's like fourth fourth century bce feels like i don't know they'd have like really extravagant names oh no this guy's in the 20th century oh okay so okay he's okay. like not he's not like augustus da, 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 da. Oh, okay like got ahead of myself he's he's chilling um well i don't know he might not be alive anymore he might he might be chilling in the grave wait um, <laughs> sorry 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 i don't want to interrupt you this is the last time interrupting you okay. in this thought is that there was um i was watching this tiktok and it started with this lady being like, if Leonardo da Vinci was still alive, he'd be the oldest man in history at the age of like 500 and something and something. And it was like, yeah, no shit. He'd be the oldest man in history if he was Wait, still alive. 
just she just went in general yeah and she that was how that was like her like um intro statement like to talk about leonardo da vinci and how introduced like interesting he was but i was like cackling and i showed alex and i was like look how stupid and he like didn't think it was that funny i was like but obviously he'd be the oldest man alive if he was still alive but he's not even close (laughs) i hope that you're joking because that would be a really good joke that right makes me laugh so hard i know i know okay continue sorry um no you're good uh this so this 20th century french philosopher henry bergson share uh he wrote about the theory of comedy and he wrote about that comedy's purpose was corrective Mm -hmm. meaning that laughter is intended to bring the comic character back into conformity with society whose logic and conventions he abandons when quote he slackens in the attention that is due to life um we're gonna see that's obviously that's not what comedy is necessarily anymore um comedy is a lot about non-conformity these days uh but that was kind of the initial conception of it. So I read a lot about ancient Greece comedy, but I feel like we kind of get it. Um, <laughs> I will say that, so the word comedy comes from the Greek verb meaning to revel. Oh, interesting. And uh, it arose out of the rites of Dionysus, who is a god of vegetation he, and like sometimes known as the god of partying or wine or something similar. I should know this, but, um, <laughs> and so the, it's interesting that the origin comedies are bound up with vegetation ritual and um, they, it originated in phallic songs okay. and uh, was often improvised. So that, I don't know. I don't really know that. I guess it means like that's why it's talking about like correcting like vices, like public vices. I think that's what that means. Does that make sense? Uh, minimally. Okay. To me, we're just gonna move on from that because that's not really the point of this. So, uh, comedy. Haha, we know it. Okay. (laughs) You know it and um, love it. uh, In dealing with humans as social beings, all great comic artists have known that they are in the presence of a contradiction, that between the social being lacks an animal whose behavior often accords very ill with the canons dictated by society. And so comedies classically always began with a low and base character seeking insignificant aims um, but end up with an accomplishment that either lightens the initial baseness or reveals the insignificance of what they were seeking out to do Um, and so uh this guy this other english guy people love writing about the theory of comedy i i'm sure i would if i was an academic that'd be like a fun thing yeah think about um This guy, William Hazlitt, wrote, quote, man is the only animal that laughs and weeps, for he is the only animal that is struck with the difference between what things are and what they ought to be, which maybe that's not true, but (laughs) it's very poetic, but I love it. Like, it sounds I'm sure like don't animals cry 
like they have emotions well i feel like dogs like like they like whimper yeah but anyways we, we love to hear it so then okay so i was researching the history of comedy and it went from ancient greece to shakespeare and like kind of just like was like that's the history of comedy and i was like wait a second what about the court jester remember those from the medieval times that's what i wrote down well you're correct um so it, it's very similar to what modern stand-up comedy is back then basically uh a court jester a fool or a joker was a member of a household of a nobleman or a monarch that was employed to entertain guests during the medieval and renaissance eras i'm sure everyone knows this but um the interesting thing is that there's this thing called a jester's privilege, and that is the right of a jester to talk and mock freely without being punished. But I wonder so how like much that speech. was held up. Because I feel like they often just killed people all the time back then. So, <laughs> um, But the court jester, because of that, like he had a uh, specific symbol and protection under the law. So mm. technically he was supposed to be protected. And this was kind of interesting to me. So apparently Martin Luther, as of Lutheranism, um, used jest in many of his criticisms against the Catholic Church. Um, in an introduction in one of his books, he calls himself a court gesture and later invokes the gesture's privilege when saying that monks should break their chastity vows. So he's kind of trolling. Funny. But, like, also, like, I'm serious, guys. You should definitely do that. <laughs> Wait, um, so to be, so could you just declare yourself a jester? Or was there a process of being, like, you know how, like, you're knighted, like, somebody else, it's kind of like someone outside of you has to say, like, yes, you are. No, this. you have to be selected to be it. You can't just be like, I am now a jester. Okay, okay, okay. Um, I mean, because, like, back in the day, like, most people, if you weren't a nobleman, you were, like, basically enslaved. <laughs> yeah you were bound to the land so i'm not sure i didn't research too much into gestures i apologize because i felt like everyone kind of gets the vibe but maybe that's something i don't know like where they come from like if they're already in the nobility i didn't look that up mm -hmm. i want to assume probably yes i don't think that they're like random serfs but um, also well my you definitely know way more about that stuff than i do but in my head, it's like the people working for nobility, aren't they usually common people? Or are they kind of a class above serfs? Like the handmaiden or like, you know, like the... I don't know. I feel like serfs, I mean, this is getting into like the nuts and bolts of feudalism, but serfs were like bound to the land and they were really just supposed to like be farmers and... I think that those are actually because that's so rough being <laughs> bound to the land yeah. that I think that like even those positions like in court, they had a higher status, like that you had to be born into like a higher status. Mm, got it. I believe. Okay. From my rough memory of going to the Tower of London. <laughs> um, speaking of London. Let's go to Elizabethan England, where Ooh. our boy William Shakespeare is working. Oh. 
And let's also revisit 10th grade British literature, where we learned that in Shakespearean terms, the difference between comedy and tragedy is in a comedy, they get married in the end. In a tragedy, someone dies. We get that. Peasy peasy. I do think it's funny that marriage is the, is comedic. I know, it's like, ha ha, you stupid. Suckers. <laughs> gotcha. Well, I think, I think that it's like, it's not even, he kind of like rebranded comedy to not even be necessarily like the comedic. It was more just about like light, like, like a lack of death. Light. Yeah. A lack of death. Just anything that's not death. Even though I feel like comedy is always talking around the fact that we die and that's what's like mortality. Funny. Yeah, no, totally. Um, and I think some of my favorite <laughs> comedies are black comedies, but maybe that says something more about my sense of humor than anything. Same. Um, but moving right ahead in history, we're now in 16th century Italy. And oh wait, I feel like I've just skipped over a shitload of pictures. What's the next picture after that? Um, it it, it's the puppets. Yes, throw them up. Because have you ever seen this? I feel like it's a it's like in. I mean, I've seen poly- this. I haven't like seen a performance because they kind of scare me. And this is a great 100%. moment to let everybody know who's listening to our podcast that we have an image guide up on our Instagram. Instagram is shut up, keep going, all one word, and um, that's where we post kind of the the photos that we're talking about right now. Yeah. So you want to sign on to see this image of a Punch and Judy show, which uh, started in 16th century Italy, but then really took root in England in like 1660s. Um, And this basically was the start of, well, I, again, I want to go back because I feel like the jester really, I didn't like find, I'm sure there's more I could have found about this, but it seems like the gesture is like the start of most comedy as we know it. Cause I, I'm, I was going to say that punch and Judy, what I read is that this was the start of slapstick comedy, mm. but I feel like the gesture has slapstick energy. Don't well, does think? slapstick come from this? Cause don't the puppets slap each other a lot? Well, yeah, that's the point of them. So they literally like, this is the, start of like literally these puppets would just hit each other and everyone would laugh and it was really fun for everyone um and so the figure that became known as mr punch made his first recorded appearance in england in 1662 um and they were in the spirit of outrageous comedy meaning that they provoked shocked laughter um because they were dominated by this character, Mr. Punch, who's on the left here, and he just kind of beat the shit out of this woman, and everyone loved it. <laughs> so, um, okay, someone uh, apparently like this went really down really well with British audiences at the time because they were starved for like a sense of fun after pure like the terrible years of puritanism where like nothing was fun and it was all like wooden chairs and going to hell <laughs> um so they tra- the the english audiences transformed mr punch from a marionette into a hand puppet and um he basically started this like farce character that i feel like we still know Mm -hmm. you know yeah um and so then 
we're now moving into 19th century England, which is 1800 for people like me who hate that. Um, and the first mainstream clown came around named Joseph Grimaldi. And I don't have a picture of him, but um, he was super popular in the 1850s in music halls. And then um, people that followed in his tradition were someone that we all know, which is Mr. Charlie Chaplin, um, who got his start in these music hall sketches. Uh, and he, he gave a lot of, Charlie Chaplin gave a lot of credit to this guy named Fred Carno, who I think I have a picture of, um, who developed a form of sketch comedy without dialogue in the 1890s. That's Fred Carno. And um, he basically started like, like silent movie humor, but on the stage. Um, and uh, it's gone on to say, quote, Fred Carno didn't teach Charlie Chaplin. Um, all we know about comedy, he just taught us most of it. So he's, he's the guy. Um, this guy's the guy and this guy's the guy fred honestly like he's really he's very instrumental um and he kind of started like vaudeville humor which is where a lot of comedy came out of um vaudeville if people don't know you should know vaudeville's awesome it's like these shows people would go to that were like variety shows where people would sing and they would have comedy and they would have like other acts i'm trying to think of what else was in vaudeville but um basically like the movie chicago vaudeville-esque great movie um and vaudeville is like really what invented movies that's like where we got a lot of our conventions of early movies um so then uh which then gave us Buster Keaton and the Marx Brothers. And I have a video of Buster Keaton, who's my personal favorite silent movie star. No offense, Charlie Chaplin, but I love him. He's so cute. Um, this is when the house falls on him. We're watching a video on our stream. Just orating. It's like, oh no. <laughs> Buster yeah. Keaton is so cute. I love him. The mu I like the music. Oops. Yeah, the organ. Yeah. Yeah, and if you're listening to the podcast, I guess something that you could look up. I don't know. What did you look up to find this? Just look up Buster Keaton House. And it's like this famous thing. It's, it's basically the famous comic gag that I feel like we've since used a lot which is he's standing and the face of a house falls on him but he survives miraculously through the window classic joke classic hilarious i have to say though like i love charlie chaplin a lot but buster keaton his like theatrics and his movies are crazy if you've never if you're not into silent movies i understand it's you know, it's a different form of media, basically. But I highly recommend watching a Buster Keaton movie because they're all real, which is crazy. Like the stunts that this man does. <laughs> he like, like literally like avoids trains, like by driving cars past them. It's very exciting. And every time I show someone a Buster Keaton movie, they're always like, wow, he really did that. 
So Michael I Bay wonder, could never, was is he, what I'm saying. I wonder, do you think he, like, always had really bad anxiety? It was like, this is the day that I, it goes terribly wrong. Or, what, like, I, how I, do you even navigate the space of just, like, like, being a, immortal? He was, like, a weird guy. There's, like, a lot of stories about Buster Keaton that I can't really recall right now because my brain is not too limber. But It makes me think was, of Buster Scruggs. Buster Scruggs. Well... Kind of a different Buster. Kind of a different Buster. Bust. But my dad's obsessed with Buster Scruggs, the um the Coen, the Coen Brothers, Brothers movie. movie. He like That's makes so everybody. Surprising to me. I know, no, I know. He like loves it though. Like every time we're over, he's like, "Hey, Sid, have you watched it?" I was like, "Dad, I've watched it with you like several times." He's like so funny, and then he just like turns it on. He's like, "This one's my favorite because it's like a series of little vignettes." Yeah. And he's just like a very passionate Buster Scruggs. Like he's like preaching the good word. I always think about that like I sometimes I'll watch a movie that I feel like I should love and I don't I don't and I'm like that's really beautiful that every single movie that you know so this is someone's favorite movie yeah it is nice (laughs) that's a sweet way of looking at it because I was like I just because to me it should hit because I love the Coen brothers and I love westerns but something about I just it didn't really do it for me I do love the one with the uh Tom Waits as the grave digger that's the best one in my opinion I would agree that's the best one but I also would say but I wasn't surprised I didn't it didn't hit with me because I don't particularly enjoy westerns so yeah it wasn't surprising but say lovey a really good (laughs) Uh, comedic Coen Brothers movies that not a lot of people love, but maybe I'll find out differently through the chat. Uh, did you see Hail Caesar? I think we saw it together, dude. Wait, did we? I think so, yeah. Oh. I don't know if we did, because I lived in San Francisco then. Oh, I thought I saw it at a break. Maybe well, I saw it I twice because I'm crazy. Anyways, I love that movie. It's very funny. It took me exciting. a second viewing. Yeah, I didn't. I not, it didn't connect with me the first time, and then the second time I was like, "Oh, I like this," but still not my I, like. It doesn't stand. It's not a standout for me. Yeah, no, I don't think it's their best movie. I just think it flies under the radar, um, and I find it a lot of fun. It's kind of my comfort movie for some reason. Like every time I have insomnia, I turn on Hail Caesar. I don't know. Interesting. Why. I could see that. Um, sure. Probably because like I love like the golden age of Hollywood, so it's very comforting. To that me. does that does stand out to me. I feel like, yeah, no, I could see it. I don't know that it'd be. I don't know. I was thinking of what my comfort movie is. I think it just depends on what I need comforting for. You know. Yeah, that's true. Like, yeah, I have I'm, several different ones. It's like situational. Yeah, any movie I bought on Amazon is like I'm like I might need to watch this on a sad night. Which includes Emperor's New Groove. Emperor's New <laughs> Groove is, is a great movie. Fucking rocks. <laughs> it's, it's honestly like elite. I think that's an underrated movie. For real, I think we. I think most people can agree. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend. It's one of the have best. Have people Disney not movies. seen it? I don't know. Some people haven't seen it. I guess that's true. Every movie. Well, I don't know. I'm some sure. people haven't seen. Yeah. Well. Moving right ahead to our brief overview of the history of comedy. Um, there was surreal humor. I'm not just doing the hits, but I do have a picture of the classic surreal humor, which is The Toilet um, by Duchamp. Um, he 
this is famous people know this is the start of the ready-made sculptures which is the comedy comes from the fact that this urinal was on view at fancy art museums and he had a laugh at it and i have seen it and have laughed so accomplished mission accomplished mission accomplished funny Um, guy and I feel like if you go to art school in the 21st century, like this is what everyone does. Everyone is just constantly putting some ironic thing, like household thing and being like, this is my sculpture. <laughs> um, my favorite art school story of all time. I don't know if people know that I went to art school. I don't know if we've talked about that. Maybe. Um, oh, I thought you were being sarcastic. We've absolutely talked about oh, it. Oh, we have? I don't know. Some I was. I think I'm just talking because I was talking to someone the other day that I knew for a while, and they were like, oh, I didn't know you went to art school. And I was like, interesting. Um, but did I tell you the story about when everyone critiqued a mound of dirt? Yes, I have heard okay. this. But do share. Do share. I think I might have said this, but uh, we were going around. We were having critique. Someone had like a child's dress that was i don't know like a little like girl like frilly dress that was like hung up on the wall and it was very in the style of this like a ready-made like oh my god like think of the connotations and in front of it there was this pile of dirt that was like really random because we were in school in san francisco and there wasn't like dirt lying around everywhere And so everyone thought it was part of the sculpture because like it was just, it was the only, that was the only place it was in the room was right in front of it. And so everyone just started, no one really knew what to do about the dress because it was like, it was like, okay, you're doing like a gothic horror thing. I don't know. So everyone started, turned their attention to the dirt and everyone really was excited about talking about this mound of dirt. And I really thought I was in the twilight zone. I was like, this is what they make fun of art school about. I did not partake in the discussion of dirt. And then at the end, just, I just wanted to say that at the end, during critique, you're not allowed to talk. You just have to listen. So then at the end, the professor turns back to the artist and she's like, I found it really interesting that you guys were really uh, interested in this mound of dirt because actually that was just here. (laughs) Did she plan it or like? She was like, but that is really, I'm going to consider that for future pieces of mine. And I was like, dear God. I feel like if no one commented on my my child's dress, I would would just go with it. I'd be like, yes, this mound of dirt. No, but I mean, I think that's what 100% she was talking about because the rest of us were like, okay, like, I don't really know what you want me to do here. Um, that's why my art school is now closed. <laughs> they closed? Um, well, they kind of did. And then they like were like, just kidding. We just needed a lot of funding. And we had to be dramatic and say we were closing. So people would like donate. But now they're being um, merged with the University of San Francisco, mm-hmm. which has caused a big stir because that's a religious school. And my school was a crazy... hedonistic (laughs) like people were constantly naked like I don't really know how that's gonna go down but um and people are really mad about that which I understand because you know who knows how much that's gonna play into the education okay we don't need to get into any more of comedy history we want to hear about how stand-up started that's what the people want to hear well 
so the advent of cinema happened right and like comedy really hit for people people loved charlie chaplin as we've already talked about and so that really helped kind of propel the journey of comedy along into making new forms Mm -hmm. but stand-up actually was kind of around before that um there's some places online i just i'm just i guess i'm saying this and i didn't give the reason why i'm saying this is that some people say that comedy started in the night stand-up comedy started in the 1950s which is not true necessarily um because one of the innovators of stand-up comedy so interesting was mark twain because he would travel around giving comic lectures and is that not what a stand-up comedy routine is sure sounds like it and so people loved it and then vaudeville happened and we already talked about that which was comedy was always a part of it because there was like comedic sketches and clowns and all that but um, some performers, such as this man, Frank Fay, which I don't have a picture of, sorry, Imagine but um, he became known by like, just like off the cuff banter directly with the audience um, when he was like emceeing the vaudeville shows, which makes a lot of sense. That seems like a natural way for that to come about. Um, and one of the first documented usage of the term stand-up came in 1911 in the magazine The Stage, describing a Miss Nellie Porter delivering, quote, a stand-up's comic ditties in a chic and charming manner, which I love. (laughs) Charming. Um, Because she performed a bunch of comedy songs, and but she's not really stand-up, but... By way of Weird Al? Like, but kind of, she was okay. the first Weird Al, Miss Nellie Perry. Miss Nelly. So good for her. Um, but then the like, what we know as stand up at today was really honed in the resorts of the Catskill Mountains in upstate New York hmm. in the 1930s. Um, and these were predominantly Jewish comedians of the so called Borscht Belt that started this kind of brash monologue giving that about like the bossy mother-in-law and like the cucked husband and like just kind of ranting about modern life and everyone loved it and we still do and there's uh but the real guy who apparently i don't know like i am not an expert in this and i'm sure a lot of people have specific feelings because it doesn't seem like there's one start Mm -hmm. it's just Mm -hmm. kind of like people were kind of doing it here and there but what the the thing that i read the most which is the the guy who really heralded modern stand-up comedy was unsurprisingly bob hope who was a very famous american entertainer um he was a british-born formal vaudeville song and dance man and he uh developed an in rapid fire style vaudeville mc routine um and then he started going on the radio which makes a lot of sense in terms of stand-up comedy um and then when he wanted to come up with material for his weekly radio monologues and for military audiences because he was really famous for traveling and entertaining the troops Mm -hmm. he hired a team of writers 
to make jokes about the daily news and gossip and other current events, um, which sounds like basically late night shows. Um, and this is like a super big development off those like guys who were working the circuit in the uh, Catskill Mountains that I talked about. Mm-hmm. Because they had they had basically like the same joke that they would just repeat over and over again. And it was like just like it was basically like shocking. You would be like, oh, my wife's a real drag. And everyone would be like, oh, my God, I can't believe he said about his wife in a public. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. what their kind of thing was. But Bob Hope kind of expanded it and made it more about modern life at the time. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so. Then stand-up became a staple of modern life through the Ed Sullivan show. Unsurprisingly, everyone knows what the Ed Sullivan show was. It was a huge American late-night show that everyone watched. The Beatles were on it. Everyone freaked out. <laughs> um, and then uh, in the 1950s is really when like a wave of stand-up comedians came around. Um, and it's probably because... like the era was so conservative that having people go on TV and say really fun commentary about political leaders and popular culture and like just basically being disrespectful when respect was like the only thing that people cared about back then people loved it, which showed you that that was people were not actually people don't love that type of lifestyle that much people need a release mm, um yeah and um stand-up comedy like going and seeing it live was super popular during the beat era when comedians would go into small clubs and perform with like cool smart politically engaged people um and one of the most famous comedians of this era who spawned a lot of uh people who came in his wake was a guy named lenny bruce and i have a picture of him i have a picture of bob hope but um there's a picture there he is um he became like a cult figure because he was really provocative um you're gonna say perverted (laughs) and perverted he like would show up naked on things like crazy shit i can see him having a really deep new york accent yeah and just like slinging his dick around i don't know why um he was not really accepted in mainstream show business because he was kind of a loose cannon um and he was always like he constantly was being arrested for obscene materials in nightclubs um, and honestly, it's really sad. Like this all oh. kind of culminated in him being in all these legal battles that kind of destroyed his career really sadly. Mm. But um, and he ultimately died of a drug overdose in 1966. But as many people that died of drug overdoses in the 60s, he became a legend after that. And most stand-up comedians that came after use him as like their pillar um wow he really took the fall i know really sad but i mean that's the thing about comedians they're like always have very tragic personal lives yeah well i think also just in general the idea of like being an innovator is like being ridiculed to varying extents um 
and kind of paving way for the next generation to build on the legacy that like the walls that you're breaking down or whatever yeah it's a or boundaries you're pushing it's a lonely life honestly um well i got it i mean and basically from then on like modern stand-up is the way it is um there's one guy that i just want to talk about briefly because i heard one of his stand-up bits and so okay turning back a little bit i've been listening to this podcast that i highly recommend it's called 912 and it's about uh the aftermath of 9-11 on like american Mm. emotional life it's really good um and it's really like surprising like it it covers topics that you wouldn't really think relate to 9-11 but they always come back and it's like what's like a topic that like give me an example um well they start they started going into the origin of the onion like the the comedic yeah and because they basically had a really stellar run and they were just about to go like expand on they had this like expansion party on september 10th and then september 11th happened the next day and they like didn't really know what to do because they were like no one wants comedy anymore yeah and their famous article that they ended up publishing was woman not knowing what to do bakes american flag cake and everyone loved it and like they got so much like support because people were like honestly i just needed like a laugh yeah everyone was like that's how i feel i don't know what to do (laughs) um so another one of those stories that was really interesting was about this comedian named george carlin who's a very famous stand-up comedy legend um and he became super successful in his early career for his parodies of television television commercials and game shows um and by the end of the 60s he like really latched onto the counterculture movement and like grew out his hair and was like super like edgy um and in one of his most famous routines he had this thing called the seven words you can never say on television and he just said every bad word really really fast thinking that he would get away and it's spurred this whole lawsuit that he lost um and anyways there's a really interesting story about him on this podcast 912 because his daughter is on talking about he would record all of his routines and on september i think it was again september 10th it was like right before september 11th he debuted this new routine he did about (laughs) how much he loves disasters like he was like i love disasters like i think they're so like he's like i don't want like two or three people to be killed i want like i want a a tornado to come and wipe out a whole town and like he's i am butchering it but like you can find and and he delivered this thing and like it killed like everyone loved it and then (laughs) september 11th happened and but the thing that was interesting that they talk about on the podcast is like people actually really it felt cathartic for people to listen to that not immediately following 9-11 but since then like that has been reemerged as like a very cathartic thing for people 
Um, and I was going to have you play it, but I don't know if that's like a copyright thing. So go look it up, Richard, or sorry, George Carlin tragedies. Um, it's a crazy <laughs> routine. Um, it definitely it made me laugh. Um, and then following in his footsteps, or not following, they were working at the same time, was Richard Pryor, who is also a huge icon in the history of stand-up comedy. Um, and he outgrew like a super youthful i didn't know this but he had like a super youthful like clean cut television persona um and then in the early 70s he was like i'm gonna fucking do my thing and he like went off and like gave really hard-edged racially charged really amazing improvisational comedy that drew on like a cast of characters that he grew up with in um illinois and uh he like is a super big deal if you don't know who Richard Pryor is. I'm sure everyone knows who Richard Pryor is, but if you don't, go on Google and look him up because So I don't. I, I definitely oh know God, of him. But I'm not like he's I don't know why. Crazy. Like it's one of those things where it's like I definitely know he's like a famous person, but I know nothing about him. Like I didn't know he was associated with comedy. Yeah, you should look up some of his routines. I'd be curious what you think. Um but I don't know. I mean, from then on, it's like we get the the last big like tentpole of stand-up comedy, or I guess the last two. And this is obviously subjective. This is from the research I did. I'm sure there's like comedy people out there that were like, no, you're missing this, this, and this person. Um, but Steve Martin was a huge oh, player in this um, because he was a television writer who then started this character impersonating the worst showtime or show business person um named a wild and crazy guy i don't know if you've ever seen that it's very funny you should look it up everyone should just be on google during this and because <laughs> i'm not gonna like reenact it because i can't do it um but you'll have a good youtube hole after this episode hopefully and then of course jerry seinfeld who uh developed the observational style that a lot of comedians draw upon now and someone I also want to mention who is one of my favorite comedians of a few generations for us is Joan Rivers have you ever watched Joan Rivers comedy Sydney no I haven't I feel like my you only context should. for Joan you Rivers love her was She's her fashion so comedy on E yeah well that was my impression of her too yeah. until I like took a comedy class in college where we like went into all this um and i reacted the most warmly to joan rivers i was oh, like holy shit i can't up. believe she's so funny um and uh yeah so that's kind of like a very very vague and brief overview of stand-up comedy but it's really interesting that it's such a recent thing you know what i yeah. mean like i feel like i you would think it's been around forever i have to say though that I went to an open mic recently and like people are really stretching the bears of what stand-up comedy is. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you went up there. No, I have done stand-up one time and it went terribly. Really? I feel well, like actually, you I did it, it, it would go pretty good. I had to good. do it in a class and I killed in the class. Yeah. And then I was like, I can take this 
to the next level to, to the next level and so I went to an open mic and well granted it was hard because it was an open mic and the only people in the audience were like other people performing and like I came in probably looked super green and like was like ah, I can do this is easy and people probably that have been doing it for like years are like shut up <laughs> That's brave, um, though. I appreciate that. I've been wanting to take um, either an improv class or an acting class. And, you should. But the prospect of having to perform at the end. It's funny because I feel like I'm a performer for a living. Um, but performing like a different medium has yeah. stopped me. And then now I'm like, I want to wait until everything's fully open from COVID because I don't really want to do like a Zoom improv class. <laughs> it sounds horrible. <laughs> This girl that I went to grad school with, she was, like, really into clowning. Like, that was, like, her thing, which, like, is fine. Like, sure. But she, for some reason, was under the impression that, like, everyone's really into clowning. And so she was constantly inviting people to clowning workshops. But, like, not in, like, you should come of, like, like, do you want to come with me? Well, she was also really rich. So she was, like, I will buy you, like, a class, like, a, a clown class and I was like I don't want to do clowning I'm sorry <laughs> I kind of want to try it just to see what happens like what's like a clown class like you know I don't know have you been to the Bob Barker marionette theater no marionettes creeps me out see you would think same but I went to it I mean this is pre-covid but it's like extremely wholesome and really entertaining it's this marionette theater in LA it's now in Highland Park used to be um on my side of town but they and it's it's very it's like crazy how they do it i mean i've like seen really marionettes to, like puppets in action if you want to call them puppets like i've seen marionettes in action and i'm like that's impressive but i'm also just like please like stop stop well so she invited me to the same woman as of- the clowning the clowning yes. woman and i was like oh actually that's like i would be down to go that sounds really interesting and so i went and i really enjoyed the show yeah. it was like really fun but then after like they have like they serve you like ice cream because it's like a lot of kids go you know what i mean oh okay and she they like come out with the marionettes and like talk to you like they have like the marionettes talk oh, to cute. you and it's mostly okay. for the kids right but this girl i was with was like the marionette came like was walking past like going to another group of children and she stopped in front of it and she was like hi my name is bobo like what is your name and i was like you're literally 27 years old like and then the guy who was doing it was like yeah okay <laughs> and then i was like yeah i gotta kind of steer go. clear from this <laughs> i gotta i gotta get out of here Oh, wow. So I was watching this episode of Curved. I don't know why it reminds me of this, um, but it's with this nanny and um, it's in season three, if that helps jog your memory. But um, it's like Larry, David, we're talking about Curb Your Enthusiasm on HBO Max. Um, Larry, David, like goes to some kid's party or whatever and um, convince, like bribes the nanny to let him use the bathroom inside and not like the bathroom Mm -hmm. outside and he tells her like oh well if anything like nothing's gonna happen but if anything happens like i'll get like i'll take care of you 
sort of a thing just kind of like bullshitting his way so that he could use the other bathroom and then she ends up getting fired and like <laughs> like makes it his problem basically but she's like it sounds like very similar energy to this woman where she's just a little like off her rocker and she had worked at um universal studios for 15 years in the looney tunes ride or something and so like the looney tunes soundtrack like really sets her off oh no <laughs> it doesn't sound very funny but it i'm doing a poor job but it, it's the, it she had a very similar essence to the clowning woman it sounds like i'm sure i'm sure of the same coin yeah, yeah. Well, sick. Yeah. Thank you. Well, that's the very unfunny history of stand-up comedy. <laughs> I find I really enjoy learning about that kind of stuff, though, probably for the same reason that you looked it up, just because it's something that I feel like is all around us, but you just accept it as like, oh, this has always been here, and you don't realize like the evolution of how we got to here and then it's fun to think about like how will this evolve and like what will spur from this and create something that like we don't know of or have a word for at this point but will be maybe like very commonplace and revolutionary in like 30 years i know i'm so curious what that will be right i feel like i if anything it'd be like cyclic and we'd go back to like very physical like um almost silent comedies yeah, I mean, that's why, like, I think you should leave hits different because it's just, like, so silly. And I feel like we don't have a lot of stuff like that anymore. That's just, like, pure silliness. Totally. Well, and that I didn't realize how niche that is. I think maybe it shows that it's just, like, that's so my sense of humor. And clearly also, like, you enjoy it. And then, like, all my other friends who are funny, like, we all have the same sense of humor. Like, my friend yeah. Nick, like, I feel like all of us are, like, this is the best show I've ever seen. And, like, we quote it all the time. And it's just, like, literally the essence of every joke that I make. And then I was talking to somebody. I can't, It might have even been my brother. And I just assumed that everybody was as, like, hyped on this as I was. Because, you know, I feel like the Netflix pipeline is there's certain Netflix shows that are just, like, in the cultural zeitgeist. And then the first, like, it, like, like the Tiger King thing or what was the other one? Squid mm-hmm. Games. And so I, I assumed it was, like... Maybe not at that level, but it was kind of, you know, everybody had heard of it when it came out and it was this big hit. And he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I was just like, oh. So I think it's just like a very niche little fun thing. So if you haven't watched I Think You Should Leave, it's literally the funniest thing I think that has come out in recent years. So good. Yeah, but I have to say, I think going off that, like it kind of takes some getting used to. I remember when I first was shown it, I like was so confused and like didn't understand what was happening because I could be because I feel like a lot of our humor now has come from like being really smart and punny and like relevant do you know what I mean and it's Mm. not about just like something really absurd or silly but I I had to like get back there (laughs) it's interesting because I think that I had a different experience where it almost felt like such a breath for me because I am really over smart comedy I mean I, I think there's a time and place and at first it was like interesting to be able to have such like deep social critique um through comedy but at a certain point it's like fuck you <laughs> shut up <laughs> i want a house to fall on buster keaton but then he survives through the window like, exactly that's what, that's I, what I want that's what i want <laughs> um well cool everybody thank you so much for listening sorry we missed last week's episode we have jobs um i know that <laughs> that sounds like you didn't know that we have jobs but we do that's kind of what happened was we both just got really busy with work um 
but we're on it. Uh, so yeah, thank you everybody so much for listening. New episodes every Friday, uh, which just feels funny to say since we didn't have a new episode last week, but it was an accident, everyone. Most Fridays. Most Fridays, <laughs> pretty much every Friday. Just assume it. Just assume um, that it's every Friday. And then most Mondays is when we do our live podcast recording over my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash good. And don't forget, uh, we this episode in particular, we had a lot of accompanying images. Uh, so if you want to check those out, Instagram, baby. Uh, shut up. Keep going. All one word. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Bye.